We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's good, everybody, and welcome back to Veterans Minimum. I'm your host, Nick Deus, at Nick Deus 10 is where you can find me, veteransminimum.com, as you can find all things VM. I am excited to be joined by the 2020 Coach of the Year by MMA Junkies, the head coach of Extreme Couture, where the current heavyweight champion of the world, Francis Ngannou, is out of, and also... Mr. Eric Nixick, you have one of my favorite Instagram posts of all time, <laughs> believe it or not. What do I do? <laughs> so it's a good thing. It's not going to be anything that you're going to need to be worried about. But one of my close buddies is Jared Gordon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we grew up. Uh, I met him through mutual friends. We've gotten really close the last couple of years. He's one of the reasons why I started training jujitsu also sure. and uh, really got into UFC. When he got the call up, I was always going to the regional scenes. CFFC out in Atlantic City. So we would always go to his fights. And I was always like a mainstream UFC fan. I'd watch all the pay-per-views. But when he got in, it's like, all right, now we got to see who he's fighting at 155. Maybe try to help out in any way, you know, messing around, friend stuff. And uh, dude, no BS, man. I have it saved right here. Your post. yeah. And it was in uh, Fight Island during COVID. His entire corner got sick. Mm -hmm. And you ended up cornering him, man. And, yeah. and your post was like, I don't think there's a bigger compliment when a guy like Jared asked you to step in last minute. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by that whole story. Yeah. And I've never gotten a chance to speak to him about it, but I got to hear it from you, dude. Man, like, you know, that brings back a lot of good memories too. Like Jared's been to the gym maybe two or three times. And obviously I'm very close with Brian Butler, his, his manager. And in passing, I'd run into Jared on the road. And I'm, I'm a pretty friendly guy anyway. I'll say hello and... And then um, I think it was probably about, I don't know, three or four months prior to this, Jared was in town and they had asked if he can come and train. I said, yeah, absolutely. I took care of him. I think he was there for like two weeks. So when, when, when all this went down, he hits me up and he's like, are you going, you're going to Fight Island, right? You got Ige on the card. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, dude, I need a solid. Like Henry and I think Greg Jones, like all these guys, they're all got COVID yeah. or they're not going or whatever it was or whoever was going couldn't go. Yeah. And um, I was like, bro, I'm in. Like, whatever you need. That's that's automatic. And and I said, who are you fighting? He gives me the guy's name. Break it down. Run over all the stuff. You know, what is your game plan? What do you want to do? What are your coaches having you do? Because, I mean, it was pretty short notice, you know, when he told me. So, we didn't want to go far off the script or anything like that. And then he goes, well, it's going to be you and Felder. <laughs> I remember Felder yeah. left the commentary oh, bro, booth. Came right off the desk like Superman. Yeah. Pulled off the, pulled off the gear and… It was such a cool moment. Like, it really was. Because, like, I mean, it really had that, like, Superman vibe. Like, Felder coming in. And and, and uh, you got to think, like, remember back then, like, the unknown of oh, COVID. Yeah. And everything that was going on, you know? So, he gets there. We land. And you're just… You've seen the videos. It's like guys in hazmat suits. Yeah. And, they're, and, they're, and they take you away. And you're, and you're basically doing your COVID test. And you're gone for 48 hours. Well, we're all talking on Wi-Fi… And, and text, and then I don't hear anything from Jared for like a day and a half. 
I'm like, all right, is he sleeping? You know, how's your weight? I'm checking in, like water load. You want to hit pads? You know, but we're supposed to be like mandatory quarantine for 48 days or 48 hours, I'm sorry. And so he tells me, he's like, dude, I tested positive. I remember that too. And I was like, oh shit. I'm like, bro, you're on the flight hugging Dana and Bisbing. There's a picture with you two like yeah. fucking all buddied <laughs> yeah, up. I'm yeah. like, the whole card's going to get wiped with COVID. Like, this is going to be crazy. And, um, you know, him and I think Anik, like John Anik, tested positive and it was a false positive. Both of them. Yeah. You know, I, everybody was scrambling. So for this poor guy for like a day and a half. He didn't even know. I remember. He was yeah. stuck in Abu Dhabi, right? His, his, his girl's back home with COVID or had COVID or whatever else. He's all the way out. With no corner. No corner. Halfway across the world. And he's like, he's like, dude, I was literally like for a day and a half just sitting in my room panicking because I thought I had COVID. I'm all the way out here, which means now I'm stuck in my room for another 10 days in Abu Dhabi. I'm, I'm completely screwed. So um, yeah, ended up working out because, you know, we, we cut weight and weight, the, weight tough, the weight cut was tough for him. And then uh, I think he was fighting at 145, mm -hmm. actually. And then, uh, you know, we got the weight off. Um, and then, man, he went out and just performed great. Executed very easy in the corner. Um, you know, you didn't have to overcoach him or anything like that. But I just remember like going into round three and knowing like, all right, we broke this dude, you know? And I was like, just get on this fucking gas pedal and let's hammer this dude and let's get the fuck out of here and get this, you know? So it, it was an amazing experience for me. And looking back at like winning coach of the year for 2020, it was for moments like that. It was like being able to jump in and help Jeff Molina and Mike, Mike Breeden, guys at Glory MMA, like James Krause calls me like, hey, I got COVID. Can you corner these guys? Yep, got you. You know, so it was, it was moments like that for 2020 that I'll always remember. It was like, you know, helping dudes, you know, that are within your community that might not be part of your team. But it was all about that, that during that time, you know? Hell yeah, man. And to add to that with the uncertainty of not even knowing if guys are going to test positive or whatnot with the traveling. Like, I mean, you know this better than anyone. Like, it's such an adventure just to make the weight. And then when you make the weight, you've even seen cards day of get oh, twisted around. And like to me, I always say with my friends when we're planning trips, like I have a group of friends where we we do some traveling. They've been to Toronto for a card, all the MSG cards. We went to Boston actually, and we saw Stipe Francis. and Francis the first time go at it. And we have like our little crew and we're always saying, man, it would be crazy if we book a trip to Vegas. Mm -hmm. And then you don't really know until the cage door locks that shit who's, is going to go down. Who's on the card and like, yeah, what's going to happen? I mean… You know, remember the like the John Jones when he pulled out of the fight like the day before, like and they moved it to Anaheim, they, was it they, right? They, well, that was when he tested high picograms or pictograms, whatever it was. Like, all right, well, we can't get him licensed in Nevada, so we're just gonna move the whole car to California. You know, but that was when I think they were trying to make him fight Dan Henderson or somebody on Chell Sonnen or somebody on short notice. I couldn't remember, and there's like, no, no, we're good. We're gonna we're gonna wait, and then we'll do it later on. You know, so but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, during that time. Um, so Jacksonville first sporting event yeah. in the world, bro, in the world. And it was, it was, it was hectic, you know, like we didn't know, like we didn't know what COVID really was, you know, or, or I remember sitting down with my family, like, are you guys comfortable with me going, you know, if I get sick, do I bring this home? Like, are you guys okay with all this stuff? And then me and Francis, coach Dewey, you know, we all go out there to corner Francis and Jacare pops. Yeah. And we're all like, this is a wrap. This whole fucking card is done, right? And it was three days. It was three, three different events. It was like a Saturday, a Wednesday, and a Saturday. I remember all that. All back yep. to back. And I'm literally out there the entire time. I have guys on each card. So I'm like there for the entire duration. And I'm like, dude, what are we going to do? Like, this is, this is, this is, this is going to be done. They're going to scrap all these cards and stuff. Florida's like, fuck it, we're good. Yeah, they didn't open care. the bars and shit. Like, <laughs> like there's that would have been a bar open forever. I remember like, we're going to the bar tonight. Like, Florida it felt give so a different, shit. right? Yeah, it was like holy hell, <laughs> dude. What is uh, what is one of your favorite things about a fight week, just in general? Not during COVID, but we always we always hear the horror stories about a bad weight cut or something going into fight week, but. Do you ever get a chance to embrace the moment of one of your fighters that you've been with for so long, finally get a marquee fight, right? Or they're in the spotlight, well-deserved for them? You know, for me, for, for the longest time, it's fight week is very business-like for me, where it's like you're not, you're not 
going out partying or doing things you're not supposed right. to do. You're handling your business the right way. But there's also kind of a balance there where like Cody Stamen fought in Austin, right? Myself and Eddie Bracco, best friends, like go on the road together. You're in Austin. And Cody's like, you guys better go out and have some fun while you're out here. Like don't sit in your hotel rooms the whole time. So it's, it's to a degree, like you're building this camaraderie and continuity amongst your team and you're going to dinners, you're hanging out. I think that's where, you know, a lot of people miss that where the team actually really does grow to me is on the road, mm. you know, and during those fight weeks, there's, there's not a lot of focus that goes elsewhere, right? Cause when I'm at the gym, dude, I'm going a million miles an hour. I got fighters everywhere. I'm, I've got people like, Hey, can we clean the mask? Can we take care of this? Can we do you're, you're micromanaging every little detail while you're at the gym and everybody's pulling at you. Somebody needs you for this. Hey, the toilet's clogged. Hey, this. You're like, fuck. Fight weeks for me are just a relief because I literally have one or maybe two fighters I have to focus mm. in on. And the rest of the week is just a cakewalk, man. Cakewalk. So I love our fight weeks. I love that energy. I love the fact that it's like, it just really for me, it becomes tunnel vision. My focus is just, you know, dialed in on. So when, like when Francis fought, gone. With everything that was going on, all the bullshit, the knee injury, the this, the this, the that, I had so much weight lifted off my shoulders the moment we got to Anaheim. I was like, all right, man, we're here. It's whatever happens is going to happen. I don't care about nothing else. My, my, my fucking, it just turned into like, we're looking down a sniper rifle. My eyes are on the target. Yeah. Everything else is going to go away. Got the objective. We got the objective, right? Let's go. Let's go do this shit. And it was such a relief. Like people are like, man, was fight week chaos? I'm like, hell no. The fucking camp was chaos. Fight week was beautiful. Like I loved every minute of it. Well, it makes sense with what you're saying when you're being pulled by all these different directions. People like me asking you to come on shows during a fight week or whatnot. <laughs> it, it does seem like a relief. And, and that's, I, I like hearing things like that because I, with what I've been doing too, like a lot of times I don't, I don't live in the now. I think too far, like, all right, I got to do this because I need to be here in a couple months or whatever it might be. It's like, sometimes just sit back. It's not so cliche and I hate cliche sometimes, but there's a lot of truth in them too where you should embrace some of those For moments. For sure. And, and, and that's why a lot of times Vegas fight weeks are, are more difficult for me. Because you're hometown. Because you're hometown. So it's like, you're still working and doing everything, all your responsibilities at home, being a dad, being a husband right? Coaching flag football, doing everything, right? Yeah. Then you have all your stable of fighters because remember like their fights are just as important as the person fighting on Saturday. So they want their time and everything else. And then, you know, you got Kudalaba fighting next week, right? Here in Vegas at the Apex. He'll get precedence and priority over everything, but it doesn't feel like a fight week for me when it's, when it's out. It makes sense also because you're actually leaving to go somewhere as opposed to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out. PlayStation 5 and, and, <laughs> and my pads. That's all I need, man. <laughs> Dude, how, how did you get into MMA? Was that something you were doing from a young age? A little bit. Like nothing nothing to like a competitive sense or anything like that. Um, did, you, did you fight also? Or? No, no, no. I never had a pro fight. So the, the crazy thing for me was I never got into this sport because I was like, I want to be a pro fighter. What I needed was, was like guys like Randy Couture. Mike Pyle, Gray Maynard, Jay Heron, like guys that were these high-level athletes that were focused on their craft and that were dialed in on, on doing something important every day. And I felt like I wanted to just be around that circle more than I wanted to be around the bartenders and the people in the service industry. And no knock on them. You got to think like I was in the service industry for 20 years out here in Vegas, but I can, I can flip the switch just as easy, right? So my focus and drive was to use my service industry and being, a, being a, at a bar as the way I can make my money. Mm. And I started to look at like all the traps around me. Well, people get off work. What's the first thing they do? They sit down, they grab a couple drinks, they start to gamble. So that four or $500 I made in cash now gone. turns into 120 or gone yeah. or whatever, right? So I just kept seeing this revolving door. Well, you can make a lot of money in the service industry here in Las Vegas. You can make a lot of money and be very successful and have money put away if you're disciplined with that money. At a young age, when I first started like working in the service industry, my dad told me right away, he's like, look, it's a trap. You just have to understand that before you get into that. In the first couple of years, I was in that trap. Then I got to the point where I'm like, man, what am I doing? I don't want to wake up at two in the afternoon, hungover, fat, out of shape. And it just something got to the point for me, like as a being a college athlete, I was like, man, I need something in my life more than this. And I started getting around Randy, 
in the gym. So Randy wasn't open yet. The gym opened in 2007. I caught wind, me and a friend caught wind that he was going to open this gym. But we didn't know when. We didn't even know where the fuck it was at the time. And, and it was almost like, like a, free, a wild goose chase. And we actually found the gym. And we walk in and literally like there's Mike Pyle and all these guys, the mats weren't even down yet. Like they're using the cage. And Randy was getting ready for Tim Sylvia. And I was like, hey, kind of peeked in. Like, hey, you guys open yet? And they're like, nope, we're not open until the beginning of the year. Um, and then Mike Pyle was like, how much do you weigh? And I was like, I think I was like 230 at the time. And he's like, hey, do you want to come in? And we're doing some jiu-jitsu and stuff. I'm like, eh, I know a little bit, nothing. I knew guard. I knew like yeah. basics. He's like, come in and get some rolls in with us. I'm like, okay. Came in. Got the living shit kicked out of me by a dude who fights at 170. That's usually how it goes. Yeah, living yeah, shit yeah, kicked yeah. out of me. And I was like, man, this is, not only is it humbling, but the experience itself for me was like, how is this 170 pound guy, you know, obviously weighs more than that, but, but fights at 170, just manhandling a dude who played free safety in college, like at 230 pounds. I'm like, there's something about this for me. So, so I, have, I have something similar how I got into jiu-jitsu. Like I was telling you about my buddy, Jared, his, uh, his best friend, Sergio Da Silva. He, oh, yeah. he, uh, he ended up passing away a couple of years ago. But those are the guys that got me into jiu-jitsu. And Sergio fought in Bellator also and some CFFC stuff. Uh, him and Jared would always be like, dude, come and train, come and train. I was like, nah, I don't want to do that, man. I'm not into it. Like I love the UFC. I respect it. I would never start calling out fighters. Do no, I know my lane. I do yeah. a podcast. Like, there's no need for me to be doing any dumb shit like yeah. that. But they're like, yo, you've always been disciplined. I grew up playing soccer and football and all these sports. And I was always looking for something because I like being coached. Mm -hmm. I tell the guys in the booth, I tell everyone that knows me, like, if I do some dumb shit, tell me. Please tell me. Yeah, for sure. I don't want to hear, yeah, I don't want to hear from two other people that you told them I don't like what Nick did. Like, yeah. no, no, no. I want to hear that. Facts. So, I go and first class, I, you know, basic how to get out of side control and whatnot. He goes, all right, we're going to start rolling live. Points out this kid, 14 years old. He's, uh, he was training for about a year with him. No, he was 15, still in high school. And I'm 28 at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm about 220. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at him. I'm like, oh, come on, man. Why you have me yeah. going with him, right? <laughs> He's like, oh, just go. Dude, undressed me. Just <laughs> violated me. And I was yeah. like, what was that? Yeah, here he's we like, go. He's like, look, man, one of two things are going to happen. You're either going to come back on Wednesday. Right. Or you're not coming back at all. Yeah. Came back Wednesday. Yeah. And now I've gone to a blue belt. I just, uh, I joined Syndicate. Nice. Over at Syndicate just because. <laughs> Bullshit. It was, <laughs> it was, uh, it was close. It's like down the block from my yeah, house. So sure. More of a convenient thing. Jay Shab and, and Shane look. They're great dudes. The Shapiro oh, yeah, brothers, yeah. They, they've welcomed me with open arms. Yeah, Shout out to them. They're great guys. Man. Yeah. So it was a little similar to yours where, like, I got into the gym and just got my ass whooped. And, and I think that's really it. Like, you you just draw the line there. Yeah. It's like, okay, I hated this so much. It was so humiliate, humiliating. You can't put your ego aside. And I was hooked, man. I was like, you know, they're like, want to come back tomorrow? I was like, hell yeah. Yeah. That you was know? the same thing that happened with me, too. And even even to this day, like, when I… Because I, I just joined that gym and it's a new gym for me. No one really knows me over there. And then you start realizing, like, the levels to it, right? Like oh, yeah. That was the thing that's been the most eye-opening to me. It's like, all right, you get your blue belt. That's cool. But then you go with another blue belt and you're like, all right, there's levels to this sure. blue belt. There's levels to black belt. And yeah. Like, Mike, like, to me, like, Mike Powell is like a superhero. You know, I was like, there's no way this guy would ever lose a fight. Like, this dude is unbelievable, you know? And then Mike, you know, in his own right, was an unbelievable MMA fighter for his entire career. But I remember when Mike fought Jake Shields in mm. Strike Force, and Jake just ran through Mike. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, I knew yeah. who Jake was, but I was like, damn, like, how good is Jake Shields? You know, so, yeah, you're absolutely right, man. He started just understanding the levels of this game. And, you know, that was really it for me, man. I was, I was hooked. I, I've, I'm literally member number one in the database at Extreme Control. No way. Member number one. And now the head coach. Now, yeah. So Dennis, technically Dennis is the head coach of the team. We're each head coaches to each one of our, of our fighters. Ah, got right? it. Right? Okay. But, um, you know, we're all, we're all essentially that, that, yeah. that role. So th that was our biggest, um, I think for us, we all wanted to make sure that if you were to walk in our gym today and, and saw practice, you shouldn't know who the head coach was. Right, like everybody in there's a leader, and everybody's in in there can can run the mat and and handle the business the way that we do. Because there's so many fighters, you, it can't just be one guy. And if you do that, man, I'm telling you, I've seen it. People just feel like they're not getting their work in. But if you lean on one another and you are are willing to set your ego aside and, and say like, hey, there's a great boxing coach in here named Jimmy Gifford. 
maybe, you know, you pick two days a week to go with Coach Giff, talk to him about what he wants paid. And if you're comfortable with that, get that work in because I can't hold for you five days a week, but I can mm. hold for you two. And Coach Giff has you for two. And then now you have another one over here. Then everybody's getting their work in, you know. But not only that, everybody's eating. All the coaches are getting paid. Everybody's part of something. No one feels slighted. No one feels slighted. So when we won gym of the year last year by MMA Junkie, man, like that was such a huge compliment to me for the entire staff. Like everyone felt that because everyone's putting the work in. What's your relationship like with your fighters? I think, you know, most are, it can be different. It can be different in a lot of ways, but I think the one common denominator for me is I don't like to be like coach fighter. I, I feel like we're, we're equals. I, when I hear coach fighter, I think, I feel like it's like this, which a lot of coaches feel that way. And it should be that way. Like they're sensei and they're this and that. Yeah, I get that. But I, I want them to be able to speak to me about anything and everything. So my relationship with them should go outside of the gym as well. Because if, if I only know that the fighter, Dan Ige, I lose out on two thirds of who he actually is. Right. The dad and the husband and whoever else is at home, right? His faith. So you do, you do yourself a disservice as a coach if you just, oh no, it's just coach fighter. Leave the rest of that shit aside. No, I can't. I can't function on that. I need to know like, what's up? Like he's, he's my guy. Like, Last week, he has, um, he sees a sports psychologist over at the PI. And I was like, hey, can I come? He's like, you, you want to come with me? I was like, yeah. He's like, hell yeah, I'm in. And the sports psychologist is like, bro, this is the first time I've ever had a coach come in and sit in on one of these. Oh, no way. And I was like, well, he's my guy. So if there's something that comes up in a fight or something that comes up in a camp, not only can I find the right things to say to him, but he's also going to look at me and go, yo, this motherfucker's been with me through thick and thin. Yeah. He's not just some dude just spouting some bullshit off. He actually knows me, knows what I think, knows what I'm talking about, you know? And that to me is the, the edge that you can get as a coach when you know what your, who and what your fighter represents. Do you think that gives you an edge when it comes to the fight also? I think it can. I think it definitely can. You know, like I felt like that in the Francis and Gone fight. I really did. You know, I felt like we had so much harmony as a team between, you know, Coach Dewey, myself, Markel, Usman, Francis, like, I, just, I don't know. I just, I, I knew going into round five, I had the better athlete. With the knee injury, with everything else, I can feel, I felt that dude break. And I said it. I said it live on fucking pay-per-view. Like, I've seen the video, me pointing at him and making sure he hears me going, yo, that motherfucker's broke. Look at this motherfucker. Like, we knew it. And just knowing what Francis has been through in his entire life, his backstory, everything else, man, we all just, it was a, almost kind of a sense of relief. Like, hey, Next five minutes, we're going to go out there and beat this motherfucker. And we're going to go take home this belt, you know? So, like, just, just knowing that, knowing what we've all been through and, and all the time and effort and hours we put in together, man, there's no better feeling in the world. One of my good friends, Josh, he's a huge Francis guy. He, um, he has, like, a soft spot for Cameroon also. He has yeah. a Cameroon soccer jersey, too. So, we were watching that fight with Gon, and when he gets, like, the takedowns, yeah, my buddy Josh just looks at me and he goes, no one's ever going to be able to beat this guy if he's doing that too. Man, that, so implementing the game plan. Yeah, I mean, now, you know, credit to him because, listen, this is something that we sat down, myself and him, Francis, we went to dinner after he beat JDS. Excuse me. And it was a very candid conversation. And I said, hey, man, like, what are you afraid of? What are the things you want to work on? What are the areas of improvement can I help you? Or what do you want? Like, just talking, having those things. And he was very open. He was very transparent in all those things. And as a coach, it gives you a blueprint. And I said, like, legit, out of my mouth, I said, who and what is your boogeyman? What are you afraid of, bro? You're the fucking baddest man on the planet, right? What are you actually afraid of? And he goes, X, Y, and Z. And I go, okay, what if we worked on those things to the point where that boogeyman actually becomes an ally or an asset to you? Then what happens? I fucking, I shit you not. The dude's like eating a steak and looks up at me. He goes, I'll be the baddest motherfucker on the planet. I'm getting fired up just saying go, this. <laughs> Bet. Let's go. Let's, let's, because out of camp is where you grow. In camp is when you focus on your skills that you have available, readily available to you right now to execute your game plan to beat a certain opponent. Outside of camp, you should be growing and Working on your southpaw, throwing on the gi, going to do judo, whatever. 
add new things to your tool shed. And we had so much of that time in between JDS to Jarzinho, right? Then Jarzinho to Stipe. So when people are like, oh, this guy can't learn how to wrestle from the Stipe loss to the Stipe rematch. Like, oh, you guys don't know how fucking bored we were during COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We had nothing else to do. So yeah, this motherfucker can wrestle. Watch and see. And, you know, the, the big equalizer for us was, look, if someone was able to take away your power and somebody, and we didn't know who that was going to be. It was just a theory, a thought. There might be some fighter that comes along that says, I'm not going to get knocked out by this guy and I'm going to try to outpoint him. This is before gone was even the landscape. Mm. What else do we have that can neutralize or to give us a win or to throw a curveball their way? And it's got to be your offensive wrestling. It's got to be. We got to be able to do this. He started wrestling so much, Nick, that we had to stand fuckers up. Get up like, all right, Francis, let him up. Like he's been on the ground too long. It's a TKO. And he's like, oh, fuck, all right. And then go back and work a combo. Boom. Flare another dude up. Put him on his back. Beat him up. All right, man, let him up. It's TKO. The it's guy that, can't it's get up. It's that famous Nate Diaz clip. Oh, you're a wrestler now. <laughs> oh, you're a fucking wrestler now. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just something that we would see over and over and over in the room that he began to implement. But the thing, my whole point is, is that he took something that he thought was his biggest negative asset in his game and Duh. literally turn it into something that won him, defended his belt. Yeah. Yeah, Francis Ngannou is so fascinating. And I feel like, you know, I did some homework on you. You get asked about him a lot and, you know, from the fight aspect. But I'm fascinated by following you on social media. You post clips of him with your kids. Yeah. They're rolling around. He's dressing up with them for Halloween and oh, whatnot. Yeah. It's like Uncle Francis. Yeah, yeah. And they're rolling around and, <laughs> and, and your son is like taking his back. And I'm just watching. I'm like, does his, do his kids know that this guy with no weapons or anything is the most dangerous person you would want to run into? I don't know if Knox understands quite what he's capable of. He watches his fights. Knox watches everything he does. The girls do. Because you know, they're older. They're older. And, right. and you know, like, it's, it's like my daughter's in high school. Oh, your dad's verified on Instagram? You know, that's like cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, and like, you get a lot dad? of points with the kids. Yeah, yeah. So, so they're all, that, that's one thing. You know, for Knox, what I love so much about it is there's so many layers to me. Is like Knox just sees Francis for who he is. He's not a celebrity. You know, he's not, he doesn't care about his race, religion, nothing. He just cares that Francis is his buddy and he comes and plays and they're good dudes. Like that's all he cares about. And it, I think that's what makes Francis love his relationship as well is the simplicity of it. They're not trying to get anything out of them. They're not trying to get an autograph. They're not trying to right. steal money, for, whatever. They're just enjoying each other's company. There's nothing, and Francis will tell you this, like there's nothing more pure in the world than just a kid's friendship and a kid's love because they're going to tell you, yo, bro, you, you smell or you're fucking, yeah, you're yeah, ugly, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Kids don't have that filter. And yeah. he's like, that's what he loves so much about him. So the, there was so much good for me and our, my family that came out of COVID. You know, and I, it, I understand that, you know, people went through a lot of hardships during that time. And I'm, I'm a lot about perspective. Thankfully, we didn't have anybody lose their life because of COVID. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of layers to that for me as well. But once COVID hit, I'm like, look, we can, we can, we're all in the same boat. But this is going to be about perspective. And we can get closer as a family. We can get better as a team. We can do all these things. And I have the keys to the gym, right? Randy's given us his blessing to go train and just keep the doors locked and keep the doors closed. We're going to take advantage of this time. And I talked to my wife. I'm like, are you okay with me going to train these guys? She's like, yeah, go for it. We, we knew we were going to have fights. We just didn't know when. Mm. Like Dana, I, I text Dana or, or I wrote to Dana. And he goes, Keep everybody ready to go. And he goes, here's what's going to happen. Some guys aren't going to feel comfortable to fight. And the guys that are, they're going to fight as many times as they want because we're going to keep pushing cards. So we knew that. And we'd go and train. And then we'd all go home and do our, live, our, live our lives. So then I talked to my wife. I'm like, hey, is it cool if I invite Francis over for dinner and like hang out? Because we're training together. So if, if I got COVID or he got COVID or we're whatever, it's going to come home anyway. Right. And this is probably about a month in and she's like, yeah, it'd be nice to have like people come to the house or somebody. Yeah, that over. was another thing. You weren't yeah, seeing anybody. Like you weren't seeing anybody either. 
And this all of a sudden, like, you, and, and then like even Francis was like, hell yeah. Like, it turned into like a nightly thing where Francis was like, hey, can I come over? Or like, <laughs> well, wouldn't even ask, just show up. You know, he'd be at the house and bring, bring food or bring, and we'd hang out and all of us hang out, watch movies and, and talk and just be a family, you know? So for me, really COVID was what drew our relationship much more closer was just that, that time together as a, as a family, man. Like, you know, and you, and you, and you appreciate that more, you know? Yeah, for sure. And you see it play out on, in, in the videos you see of you guys in camp or sure. in interviews and whatnot. It's always, it's always really cool to see and get that backstory. We're, we're having fun with this Francis combo, but are you, when you first met him and even now when you hold pads for him, do you ever like shit yourself when you're doing that with how hard this guy hits? It's not, I don't, sh it's my shoulders that shit. <laughs> My shoulders, my neck, like my neck's already hurting just talking about it. You so know, like I, I can't imagine what that's like. Like I would love to just hear the sounds of it because back home in New York, I haven't done it since I got out here. I've mainly just been doing the grappling and the jujitsu. Like I'll hold pads for uh -huh. friends or whatnot, or even in the gym. And growing up playing football, you'd hold pads for the running back right. running through, and like you'd feel that sting. But then you see those like body shot challenges. Oh, bro. And then I'm like, Coach Eric Nixick just holds the pads for this dude. Bro, it's it's nasty. Like, Dewey and I laugh all the time about that. It's like, hey, you're up. You got it. You got, <laughs> you got this one, bro. Like, you know, like, and, and then, like, I'll hold, like, I'll hold his left head kick. And I and I, don't, I won't hold it like this. I'll actually catch the kick. And, like, there's, like, videos of my, me just, like, my head ricocheting, you know, off the pad because he just unbelievable power. Like, I've never, I mean, obviously, he's, yeah. he is the, the hardest puncher in the MMA, right? Like, He's got the death touch, but it's on all limbs. Like his left kick, his right kick, his left hand, and his right hand is death touch everywhere. It doesn't Sheesh. matter. So like holding his jab, your, your fucking elbows ripping back, you know, holding his cross, your shoulders ripping back. You feel like you just had a fight when you're done with that, right? Here's the, like, I just recently like started holding pads for him again. And I didn't forget like how hard it was, but my body was like, <laughs> Yo, bro, like, <laughs> fuck, I do not miss this shit at all. You know, like, I've, I remember waking up the next day, like, dude, I feel like I got hit by a goddamn truck. And I was, no, you got hit by Nagano. You know, that's, that's who it was. So, and then, and then when I hold pads, my, my pads are usually MMA pads. So it's like, all right, one, two, single leg. And he's, ta he's taking you down off a single. Mm. He's splitting the legs. He's getting on top and he's dropping elbows on you, you know, and raining some ground and pound because that's what, that's what I want. I want that sequence of striking to go. And dude, it's 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 rough. It is rough, <laughs> man. Like I said, I can't even imagine. I'm holding it for like a buddy of mine that doesn't even know like how to fight or has any power, and you could feel it come oh, back yeah, on yeah, your yeah. shoulders. Now holding it yeah. for him would be crazy. You get guys that will hold the pads like this, you know, like like dude, no one's gonna punch like yeah across their body, you know. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, when it comes to MMA, right? And uh, you've been coaching for a long time and you've been in the game for so long. There's always a conversation about MMA judges sure. and just judges and whatnot. Before we really get into the nitty gritty of that, what is what goes through your mind when one of your fighters goes to the decision? And man, you just never know, right? Like you hear some of these scorecards and you never know. And while you're in there, what are those two, three minutes like before Bruce Buffer or, or Joel Mart Mart Martinez Joel, announces yeah. the names as uh, a coach? Because obviously the fighter is devastated, but you, are, are you saying to your other guys like, 
man, I think we got it. I don't know. Like, what, what is, is that like? It is the most, like, helpless feeling in the world. It really is. It's not in your hands no more. It's not, it's not in your hands anymore. Like, I, I don't know if this is the right analogy, but it's the same way I felt like my, when my wife was having a baby. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just going to stand here. You know, like, where do I put my hands? And, and, and hopefully this all works out. I think we won, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know, you know, and, and, you know, I've had guys like, what do you think? And I'm like, I think we won, but I don't know. Fucking this judge is sitting over here. Who knows? You know, and, and I've been on both sides. I've been on both sides. I feel like, I feel like I've been more on the wrong ends, but I've been on a few that I was like, oh shit, I didn't. All right. We got really? It. So you do experience that too as well, right? Yeah. I think when you're in the game long enough, you're going to catch one or two of those, you know, but, but I think every coach will tell you all the ones they've been wronged on, you know, but there's been some where I'm like, oh, we got, I think we got away with one there. Um, so th this day and age, I think you just try to understand the rule set better and the, the way that they're trying to look at it as judges. So Credit to like Nevada State Athletic Commission. We, about a month ago, we did a Zoom meeting with all the major judges, four or five of the refs, all the Nevada State Athletic Commission executives, and about five coaches, like five of the top coaches in the world. And we sat for like two hours and asked questions and talked and watched uh, film back and forth, judge fights as they like, all right, we're going to watch this one round. You guys are going to judge it. You know, what do you, what do you guys score? And everybody was scored everything the same. Mm. You know, except for like one round was like either a 10-8 or a 10-9. And I think Safe Saud scored a 10-9. Everybody else scored a 10-8. Everybody got it right, right? Right. It was, it was whatever. So there was, no, there was no dissension where anyone scored it wrong. But I think their whole purpose was, was to hopefully open up some lines of communication and they're trying their best as well. And right now with the rule set and everything is, it's at least something, right? Is it going to be the fix and the end-all be-all? No. We had a lot of questions on, okay, where's like, is there ever like a review board? When like, when do you, like as, a, as, a, as, a, as an employee or at any job that you have, does your supervisor come in and say, hey, here's where you effed up on this, this, and this. We're going to have to, sit you down for a little while until you can get it back together. Mm. You know, Mark Smith, great referee, an amazing fucking pilot. You know why? Cause he never crashed a fucking plane. Right. Right. Cause he has to crash a plane. Yeah. And I tell these guys, I'm like, if this, if this were life or death, right. I bet you, you guys would make sure that you guys weren't fucking up, but where are you guys getting your reps in? Where do you guys practice? I go, we practice every day for our fight. And we practice every day to train to be our best. What do you do for a living? So-and-so. Oh, I'm a lawyer. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a blah, blah, blah. Right. right? What was that? Line in 300? Yeah. <laughs> right? It's, it's the same thing like in the NFL too. Like a lot of the referees and their staffs are all part-timers. All part-timers, right? But it, I, I, I guarantee you there's like some review board or somebody saying like, hey, you have to meet certain qualifications or certain time in where you're watching enough film or tape or whatever else. That was our main question was like, where are these guys getting their reps? I've always opened my door to the, any refs or judges that wanted to come in and just watch more sparring. And you know what? To her credit, Adelaide Bird's been in my gym, you know, a few times in the past. And she'd come on grappling days because she said, hey, I don't know enough about these positions. I'm like, good on you. Finally, like somebody that's At like- At least I you're wanna... admitting it too. Right. Yeah. But, but like, you know, and I was like, Miss Bird, like, feel free to talk about or ask me and, and I won't hold anything against you. And I won't even like say anything bad about it. She said, okay. And like, we went over some positions. Who did, who's winning in this spot? Or what do you think of this? Or what are you offensively looking for, for here? I'm like, man, finally, good on you. And I know that she left that better that day. And I know that she probably left a better judge that day, right? But everybody else, I think a lot of these guys, once they get that seat, like that looks demeaning for them to go into a gym to get more reps. Right? Like, oh, no, no, no. I, I know it all. Yeah. Bro, how, how much has this game been changed in the last five years, right? Oh, a ton. A ton. Yeah, yeah. So, so how are you staying on the cutting edge of your judging if you're just judging when it only matters on Saturday? Right? Only matters on Saturday. So if I make one fuck up, they just go back to their job on, on Monday. But meanwhile, here's a fighter who done eight weeks of camp, gets half his pay. Coach is going to get half his pay. 
Everybody's scrambling, right? We're not talking about fucking this guy's getting 300,000 flat. Yeah. We're talking 12,000 and 12,000, right? Yeah, that's the thing that I think is so demeaning to the fighter and so like catastrophic in a way too when that happens. And when it, the thing that drives like, because I'm on Twitter during the fights, tweeting about the fights and whatnot. And, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll send out like what I think my score is. Right. When it's so lopsided, Man, when it's like, you know, you have a 30-27 for A, and then I come out of nowhere and it's like 30-27 for B, and it's like, hold on, man. How are we seeing it that different? Like, that's the issue. If you're saying, you know what, man, I see a 48-47 for him, and I'm like, you know what, I see a 48-47 for this person. That's a little more understanding. But if you have a 50-44 and I'm like 49-46 the other way, it's like, wait, 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 exactly. And, yeah. and you see that a lot more now. Yeah. So many, so many just opposite scorecards so okay that tells me one judge might be like cornering for the three d's or judging for the three d's right dominance damage duration and what this judge is like oh well he only jabbed him he jabbed him a hundred times right well i know i know and i said this to sal like sal diamato i like sal like this wasn't being rude i just like sal i know that you prefer like more impactful punches than you do volume of punches. I've oh. been on both sides. I've benefited from both sides. And he goes, well, you know, the three Ds. And I go, yeah, but in a, like, let's use um, Roundtree and Jacoby, for example. Right. You heard Roundtree's punches land, right? Mm. But Jacoby was blocking them too. Yeah. So they that, weren't getting through they as weren't much getting as… through, but it sounded like he was getting hit by a truck. Yeah. Right? So if you're judging it by that standard… He would have been getting wobbled or there would have been more of a, of a visible, right? Oh, shit, he got shook here. Whereas Jacoby was landing that jab 100, 200 times, you know? So where is that distension there? That's the biggest thing. I think that's the thing that people question the most. Well, how do you alleviate some of that stuff? Well, there's times when we've seen scores go a certain way. Wouldn't you love to hear from the judge? That would be nice. Wouldn't you love to go? And, I, and I'm not saying this like to be an asshole. I had a fight where Kai Kamaka, we thought he won the fight. And it was a split decision. Mike Bell, personal friend of mine, Sal Diamato, they all saw it for TJ Brown. Okay. I thought it was a clear-cut fucking 30-27 or, or 29-28 for Kai. Every media member saw it for Kai. Who will, they see a lot of fights as well. Right. Every media member, like yeah. 13 of them, 14 of them. But I was comfortable enough to write Mike Bell. And I say, hey, Mike. I don't agree with your decision. Can you please explain to me why you thought that this, this, and this? And he's like, no problem. And went over minute by minute, the entire third round. That was the round in question. And he goes, and here's what I assessed in watching it live. And I'm like, okay. You can live with that. I can live with that. I can see, what, I can see why you made that assessment live. You know, Kai threw a left kick. And from my vantage point, it looked like he, he got countered and got, and, but Kai threw a kick and slipped. But it looked from his vantage point, Kai threw a kick and got hit and fell down. He didn't get hit. He slipped, right? But okay, you're a human being. No problem, man. I, I can live with that. Right. That's why I think it's always going to be nitpicked because there is a human element of that. There's a and human and element. And it's subjective too. And, that, and that's the beauty of it. And, you know, I hate that whole fucking cliche of like, don't leave it to the judges, you know, but… Burt Watson's right when he says that. Don't leave it to a judges for a reason. Yeah. Because half the time, they don't know what the fuck they're looking at. But if, they, if they're given a moment to either A, explain themselves clearly, that might show the reasons why they went a certain direction. Or on the other side, it might tell you how fucking inept they are and shouldn't be up there. Because if you put a guy up in a microphone and a camera in front of them and they go, yeah. then the athletic commission is what they're forced they're, they're forced to go, hey, man, we're going to have to… Reevaluate the situation. You didn't have nunchucks, so I don't know why you said that in, uh, in that interview, bro. Like, you know, like, what fucking… What, what were you watching? You know? So, I mean, I, I know they're trying to get better, and, that, and that's all we can ask for, I think, as a coaching staff. I do want to mention the main event this weekend. Yeah. And uh, at the time that we first connected and we kind of scheduled this, it later crossed my mind that you might be the perfect person to ask about this because you have cornered against both of these fighters. Yeah. And in particular, Pereira, just now, his last fight was against one of your guys, Sean Strickland. And uh, 
I do like the dynamic between you and Strickland. Because Strickland was like, yeah, <laughs> man, I should have listened to the gameplay. <laughs> yeah, like, you're telling me man. all these things. <laughs> and then you also had uh, Brad Tavares, one of your fighters, fighting Adesanya prior to him being the champion. This fight, how, um, what, what do you think of Izzy as, uh, as the champion? And because he gets, he's in this weird situation now where he's personally my favorite fighter in the right. UFC. Uh, I love the, how calculated he is. He doesn't put himself in harm's way. Mm -hmm. He's a phenomenal striker. And he's so, uh, again, using the word calculated, he doesn't put himself in harm's way, right? And it happened to George St. Pierre. It happened to John Jones, where everyone loves a Francis because it's the highlight. Mm -hmm. It's all these crazy knockouts. But that's not always the op optimal route for you to go in to, to get a victory. If I was fighting Francis Ngannou, which hope never happens, but I would not want to go in there and try to combat him punch for punch. No. You're drawing dead. Right. So Izzy understands that some of his fight, the fights that he has, it's, all right, man, this is a big heavy hitter. Let me be more calculated. Do you feel like that, that heat that he gets from casuals and even some MMA purists is, is like warranted? Not at all. So from a coaching perspective, then do something about it. You don't like the way he fights? When you have the opportunity to go fight against him, then do something about it. Make him go out his ways. Take him out of his comfort zone. Take him out of his element. Fucking quit complaining about him and do something about it. Number two, he, he's gotten to this point in his career where he's making generational money for, for him and his family. I've been in this game long enough. I love winning. I love the belts. I love all that stuff. Now it's about securing the bag for as long as possible. So if that means he's got to do cartwheels for five rounds, and it, I, I get it. I, I understand that. It's not entertaining. But I understand the reasons why. So as a coach, when you put a game plan together or a fight starts to play out a, a, a certain direction or certain way, it's like in football. Let's say you hit a trap play and the trap play hits for 15 yards every time you plug. Why would you stop going to the trap play? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Keep fucking running the trap play. Yeah. Keep running it. So if I, as a coach in MMA, see a path to victory, a clear line of path, my game plan could have came in, we're going we're gonna to go southpaw, we're going to strike, we're going to do this, and maybe we sneak in a takedown and the guy has no way to get up. His guard game or his half guard, he had no answer to get up. Let's go back to the well. Let's mm. take him back down again and make him work his way back up. So my point is, is that if Izzy finds a path within his fight or Eugene finds a path, they're going to stay on that path until you fucking do something about it, until you can fix it, until you can expose it. So win any way possible. I don't care how you do it, but fucking win and get your belt, get your pay-per-view points and get on to the next one, right? Is it... The Francis Ngana going in there, bang, and do all that. No, man, I get that. But I understand the reasons why. Yeah, but also for me, I, and I agree with a lot of what you're saying. For me, I love the defensive style of his, too. 100%. And not putting himself, like, that's, that's part of the martial arts. Yeah. Right? Like, Floyd Mayweather made his career off that. And he's very, and, and I do think the heat that Izzy gets is because he's so flashy, like, with his social media, sure. too. And he's built a really big Talks name for himself. Yeah. yeah. And his aura has maybe surpassed the fighter that he is now. Right, right, like he's, right. He, like, I have a lot of friends that are not into the UFC, but they know Izzy. And they're like, dude, he's dope. Like, right. they love the anime stuff too. And like, he's a little bit more relatable in that sense. And then when they watch some fight, they get a little discouraged. But mm -hmm. I'm on the other side, like how you are in the sense of, man, this guy's just trying to get his money. Yeah. And just win the fights. Isn't, we're in a society where we love winning, right? right? We judge quarterbacks on wins, For sure. coaches on wins and accolades. Just get your, get your win by any means necessary. And, and by no means is what he's doing to me is watered down. I think his level of artistry is far beyond the casual eye. And I, Coach Follis used to always say, it's the space between the notes that makes the music. What I mean by that is Izzy's rhythm in between each combination, his faint game. It's like… Switches stances man, too. He's yeah. like the conductor to an orchestra. And he just fucking knows where to put the instruments, man. And like… He switches his stance. He'll look at your foot. He'll feign a level change. He'll step off. He'll give you 45s. He'll give you laterals. He'll do this. He'll do this. 
And all the while, you're just like, dude, it's like a snake charm. It's like, man, I don't What did this guy give me? And then he'll collect data on what you do off your parry hand. Oh, parry down. Okay, cool. Let's come over top of it. Oh, I came over top last time. Faint. Boom. Here's a kick. Right? You're like, God damn. Hits you know? with so many different things. It, I mean, honestly, it's like when you see a pitcher and he's on his game or a catcher's calling a great location of the, of the, of the count, right? And you're just like, you're, you, got, you got batters just fucking tied up because they don't know where, the, where it's going, the speed it's changing from. So when you watch him in his artistry at his purest form, how could you hate on a dude that, that is that good of an artistic striker that he is, right? I love watching him fight. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I've, I've taken a lot away from him. I took a lot away from him when I was breaking him down for Brad. I was like, oh, shit, that was slick, you know? And then when he fought Paulo Costa, I'm like, oh, this is going to be an easy calf kick game for him because of Paulo Costa's stance. I broke, I, we cornered against Paulo Costa, right? Uriah Hall. Oh, here's what Izzy's going to do. He's going to chop his calf. He's going to take away his movement. He's going to be a sitting duck. Here's how it's going to look out. Boom, same side head kick right off. Yep. Right? I mean, it was easy money. Easy money. So I'm a student of the game. I always will be. So watching guys like that, to me, are, are watching the Picassos when it comes to artistry. Yeah, and his opponent this weekend, he also has that death punch too. Death punch, bro. I do Seat think it. Yeah, <laughs> I do think if if it wasn't for the backstory of them fighting prior, I don't know if he gets a title shot this year. One hundred percent agree because I mean, he beat Bruno Silva. That was a close fight. Uh, his first fight at MSG he got taken down. Remember? Yeah. And like, yeah, against the Greek dude. Yep. I'm, my nationality is Greek. So I was like rooting for him. There and then go. he got he got murdered in the second round. Dude, dude man, I had him on the ground. Yeah. Right? And then Sean Strickland don't listen for shit. You know? So <laughs> I agree. Like th those are things to me. Like could there have been another fight in between? But here's the thing that UFC is so smart about. Is if they risk putting him against a Robert Whitaker or somebody else. And he gets fucking slept. This whole backstory goes away. That's exactly it. This whole backstory. Yeah. Remember when Floyd was supposed to fight Pacquiao? Yep. And then Pacquiao got fucking murked. Yeah. And then that, everyone's like, no one wants to see this fight now. So when it finally did happen, no one really gave a shit. It lost its luster. So the UFC's smart in the regards of like, yo, let's get this guy in. He's deserving of it. I'm, I'm okay oh, with him sure. getting that yeah, fight. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. Like, I think there's a couple guys within that 85-pound division that probably deserve it more. Well, also, like, your guy Strickland took a big risk. He didn't need to take that fight. He didn't being, even want that fight. Yeah. What was he, four? He was four in the rankings at that point? Yeah. And you know, it, when, it came, when it came to us, it was like we had three different names. And they said, you fight him, you win, you're guaranteed the title shot. If you fight so-and-so and win, then you might be one more before. So it was a calculated risk for him in that regard. But thankfully now, if he goes and beats Jared Cannonier, I think it puts him right back into that title fold if, you know, Izzy does his job and beats, and beats Alex. But back to Alex, man, like, when you look at, for me, Izzy's such a calculated, calm striker. I don't want to see him to go in this emotional. Mm. and try to prove a point in this fight. And it does seem like this is the first one that he's had where that could be an issue, where well, there's a lot of emotion. You nailed it, and you said it earlier. He's, he's got an ego to him. We yeah. all do. We yeah, all do. Of course. But I think that, that this might be the one of those where he's like, motherfucker. Like, the last thing in the world you want to do is get in there and have this knockdown, drag-out fight with, with Alex Perez. It's just not a good not now. If he wants to stay on the outside and pick this dude apart, that's what I would do. I'd kick this dude to death. My 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 kick count would be probably seventy percent to thirty percent of hand strikes. It'd be a lot of teeps, a lot of kicks, a lot of calves, a lot of leg kicks, and then how do you jam the hands? High kicks. Make him catch those head kicks, man. You know, make him catch that. If you're more worried about his left hook, make him block over here. If you're more worried about his cross, make him block over here, and then change your stance and do it all over again. You know, and keep him on that rhythm. But for Prea, he's got to get Izzy backed up to the cage. He's got to eliminate. So where Izzy's so great to me is his 45s. So if what I, is it, what is that exactly? 45. So if you go, if you if if you're standing here, right, you have a 90 degree to your left and your right, okay. and then you have a 45 degree angle backwards. We call them half beats, half beat to that side, right? And those are essentially pull counters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
what Izzy does so great, if let's say we're both standing ortho versus ortho and I throw my right cross and I miss, Izzy just does what he call, we call a shake step. He'll shake step in a southpaw off that 45. Yeah. And then now what is, once he hits his back foot, this left cross is ready to go. Bang. If he does it off, the, off my lead hand, lead hand, I boom, right into ortho. You can say ortho, ortho, step to your right, boom, right cross is there. So why is it so important to be able to strike efficiently out of both stances? Izzy proves that time and time again because of the beats between the rhythm, right? So right cross, he slips. Traditionally, you're going to step back into orthodox and now we're just even Steven. That's a wasted motion. He can step back into southpaw and stab you with his left cross before you even realize he changed it. That's what's so important to me why Perez has got to get this backed up to the, to the corner posts because it eliminates your 45s. It keeps them on 90-degree planes. So all you have to do is close the doors with your containment punches, your hooks, your overhands, your body shots, your leg kicks, contain them, and then your straight punches go. But again, that takes away two elements of Izzy's game, that backwards 45-degree angle. Dude, you just blew my mind. <laughs> like I, I feel like I just learned so much more about Izzy in the two minutes you were just going about that than the last many well, now, fights that I've watched. Now I hope when you watch the fight. Because it all makes sense because I've seen those movements yeah. and I've seen him, you know, throw the jab and then switch and pivot. So I've seen that. But hearing you break it down like that was yeah. just mind-blowing. And then, like a lot of times, you know, you're a football guy. When I watched a lot of football breakdown football, I watched their feet. Watch your feet more oh, than yeah, anything. Yeah. So when you watch Izzy fight on Saturday, watch his feet and watch the way he sets his feet up. Moreover, watch a lot of times like the faint game throughout his feet. Bro, it's unbelievable. Faint knee, hip turn, faint pump, teep faint, this faint, right? Because when his kicks come out, they come out of the shoot all looking the same. So you don't know, fuck, is this going to be a head kick? Is this a body, body kick, kick, a low yeah. kick, a teep, a question mark? Where, where's he going with this damn thing? That, that's what to me like makes him so beautiful to watch. Dope, man. I could talk to you about this for hours and hours. I know we're running up on time. I do got to ask you about the flag football stuff. Yeah, man. I see you because I've been looking to, uh, I know it's for for like the younger kids and whatnot. You're the coach for your, your kids' yeah. teams? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been coaching my son. This is my second season with him. Um, my daughter played uh, junior high. They just lost in the playoffs. And then my oldest daughter's playing for high school flag. So it's it's cool because you know, I didn't think I was going to have any girls playing flag football or anything like that. My middle child is unbelievably athletic and she's, she's great at soccer. So when this became available, and I've always played catch with her, you know, we've gone, she can throw the ball, she can catch the ball, but moreover, she's super aggressive. So I was like, yo, this would be good for you if you want to play a little flag. And she went out and killed it. Like had a great season, loved every minute of it. And then so it actually inspired my older daughter to go try out for the high school flag, the girls team. So she just got on that. And then little man, he's just, the first year, I think, like anything, you're just kind of learning. Right. You know, learning the ropes. But this year, I've seen so much transformation in him, in his, in his vision. Like, he understands how to set up his cuts. He understands how to get off to the sideline, how to, like, set a guy up to juke him back to the ends. Like, little things that he's seeing, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, you know, Jerome Sapp's a good friend of mine. He played for the Ravens and the Colts. And Jerome wrote me. He's like, yo, bro. <laughs> Let's go. That's good, man. Like, look at his, you know. So next season, he's actually young enough to stay in the same league that he's at. But he's kind of tearing it up. And then some of the kids that are on the team will move up. So I, I think I'm going to have Knox move up with them. And, you know, nice. the, the, you know, kind of level the playing field a little bit. We're undefeated right now. So that was big. For, you know, we got one more game on Saturday. So we, we want to finish the year undefeated. And, yeah, man, it was cool. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, a lot of time. But I have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, it's, it's dope as hell, man. I, I used to play back home. We used to have a really competitive team. We would play seven on sevens oh, yeah. and on Sundays. And, you know, it's like two, $3,000 buy-ins. Oh, First yeah. place gets 10, 15,000. And I was a quarterback for our team. And uh, I, I miss throwing, man. man yeah. I miss it. It was It's probably the number one thing I miss about being back yeah. home. Every Sunday we would go and it was dope because we would get to the fields at anywhere from 8.30 to 9 o'clock. You'd play your 9.30 game. Then you'd come back home at noon shower, get your food, go, go to go to Eric's house to go yeah. watch football. Yeah, like man. that was our routine. And yeah, it was, and we, we had a good squad out here too. And then, uh, you know, I'm going to throw Brad under the bus, but Brad had a little bit of an injury 
you know, and we're all like, fuck, we can't play flag football anymore. But we had a squad. We're going out there smashing dudes. Man. Like me, Brad Tavares, Boston Salmon, you know, a bunch of guys on our on our, on our team, you know, that like on the fight team. Yeah. We go out and play in flag and we were just doing dudes. So like MMA Junkie comes out one time. They're like, hey, we want to get MMA Junkie versus Extreme Patron and flag football. I was like, Are you guys sure about that? You guys really want to do this, you know? So I think we ended up beating him by like six touchdowns or something like that. Man, we ran up, but Dude, I could sling. Yeah, I, I could toss a pig, right. man. If you cool. ever need a quarterback, you let me I'm know. Because I had to to play quarterback, but I was an all-state wide receiver. So I had nobody to throw me the ball. So like, fuck, I'll just play quarterback. Oh, man. <laughs> I, yeah, we'll, we'll light it up. We'll light it up. Coach Eric Nixick, you're the man. I appreciate this combo. Thank you for coming in. I know you got to run to uh, do some uh, camp stuff and whatnot. Yeah, you got to practice. practice. But uh, tell the people where they can find you, social media, and the whole nine. Sure, yeah, easy. Uh, Eric underscore XCMMA. Uh, that's where to find me at. You know, pretty pretty active on Instagram. So if you got anything, hit me up. Sounds good, man. I appreciate you. I'm going to have the link in the bio to that on the episode. And thank you all for listening. And we'll catch you guys next time on Veterans Minimum. Got it. Got it.